Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Blair Lynn, on how the gospel heals the pain of fatherlessness. Believing those promises really changed everything and helped me to see, wow, I'm God's child (laughs) and he loves me and he will love me forever. And, you know, and he chooses to love me. He chooses to adopt me. Adoption is something we receive by grace. It's not by birthright. And so, yeah, just to settle into that and settle into his goodness and his love, that really changed so much for me. Blair Lynn, next. Spoken word artist and pastor's wife Blair Lynn's personal story of growing up without a father at home reflects the experience of millions of people. In her book, Finding My Father, How the Gospel Heals the Pain of Fatherlessness, she weaves her story with thoughtful theological reflections, inviting us to learn from God what father really means and to trust him, even if we feel our earthly father has let us down. Here's Kimberly Burchell. Blair, thank you so much for being here and for talking about fatherlessness and your book, Finding My Father. Before we talk about that subject, though, tell me a bit about you. If I ask one of your friends, who is Blair Lynn? What would you Mm -hmm. hope they said? Yeah, that I um, am a spoken word artist. I've been writing poetry since I was nine years old. I am an author, a speaker. I actually live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania now with my husband. Uh, We'll be married 12 years in July, and we have three children who are 10, 8, and 7. And I just love outdoors. I love the beach. I love walking in the mountains, um, hiking, playing tennis, and, and I really love being able to spend time um, with other women, with other saints, you know, being able to get to know other believers and encourage one another. Okay, let's go way back now to the beginning from Mm -hmm. when your mother found out she was pregnant with you and through your childhood. Just give us a sense of what all that was like, what took place and what it was like growing up without a father. Yeah. So when my mother found out that she was pregnant with me, she actually was already a single mother. She had had my sister at 17. She found out she was pregnant with me at 21. And when she found out, she actually decided she was going to abort me and then changed her mind, decided she was going to place me for adoption and then changed her mind uh, because of a series of circumstances that I explain in the book. My father and my mother were never married. Actually, they weren't even in a relationship when she found out she was pregnant with me. Uh, And I'm sure that that played a part in her deciding that she wasn't going to keep me. But she decided to keep me. And, um, you know, I would say life was very challenging. Um, At the very beginning of my life, um, she actually ran into my, my father when I was about two or three months old. And so he did try to be there. Um, he did invite, you know, invite me to go and see the family on his side. When I was around two or three, he would big buy these big bags of candy for me. Um, so I remember that uh, I did spend some time at his house 
But then my mother moved us 2000 miles away to California. And so we didn't really have a relationship after that move. You know, I remember at eight or nine years old, having a phone conversation here or there with my father, it might look like five minutes, maybe 10 minutes at the most. And it was always awkward. I didn't really know much about him. He didn't know much about me, Um, but we would try to kind of catch up in that way. And I remember thinking at eight or nine, there has to be more than this, that our relationship should look like more than just a phone conversation. When we would go visit family in the Midwest, maybe once a year, if we had the money to be able to do that. I would see my father at that time. So we would either stop through Chicago or he would, you know, come up to Michigan to visit, but still there just wasn't much relationship. Um, We struggled with poverty as a result of my father's absence, which is actually typical for those who are in a fatherless home. Um, We moved, I remember 25 times throughout my childhood. I struggled with authority as well. I respected my mom because she was my mom and she was there, but I didn't really respect anyone else, you know, in in my life so much. Um, And I struggled with my identity. It was hard figuring out who I was because I do think that a father really plays a big part of that. And so I remember at 18, when guys started expressing they were interested, I, I really wasn't sure what to look for in a guy because I didn't have that modeled for me. And so at 18, I actually, for the first time, kind of mustered up the guts to share with my father how his absence had affected me. So that's a little bit of my childhood coming up. Yeah. So it sounds like growing up was a bit of a challenge. I can't imagine moving. Was it 25 times? Yeah, 25 times throughout our childhood. Yeah. And were some of those to ha- places that you were renting, were those, some of those to people's couches? How, how did that look? The majority of those um, moves were moving in with friends, living on a couch or staying in someone's room. Um, there were times where we had to live in a shelter. So a few times we were completely homeless where we were in uh, you know, a shelter where mother and children could go. You know, there were times where we rented our own place and times where just because my mom got evicted that we we couldn't stay there anymore. Um, So there was a mix, um, but it was definitely hard, you know, hard to have so much transition. I think the longest period of time, the place that we were renting, we stayed for three years, you know, and so just that instability certainly has an effect on a child. I didn't realize it because I was living it, you know, and you're in survival mode. And it wasn't really until, you know, I was able to get my own apartment. And and then since, you know, realize like stability is really important. But a child who lives in a fatherless home, they're more likely to experience that poverty and, and to experience those struggles. In chapter two, you say, I'm going to quote this, I was a mess. I was on my way to becoming a statistic, as it turns out. Mm -hmm. So what do you mean by that? And what are some of the things that fatherlessness puts a child at risk for? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, as I mentioned, even, you know, the poverty, uh, you know, I talk about even kind of having a stent with stealing, um, you know, which a fatherless child is more likely to brush up against the law. And thankfully, I walked away with a warning, but I know there there are other children who, you know, that's not the case. 
for the amount of children that's in prison, 85% of them come from fatherless homes. Um, When you look at the rates for suicide, or you look at the rates for those who are homeless, I mean, the numbers are just so high. And from those numbers, the majority of them come from fatherless homes. That's the same with high school dropouts, with teen pregnancies, with children who have behavioral disorders. Um, It's just so clear. The statistics are clear. What I argue in my book, too, though, is that there are certain areas of fatherlessness that the statistics don't touch. You know, so there are plenty of people who, you know, their father is right in the home, but it's as if he's not there. Right. It's you know, there might be an emotional absence or a spiritual absence um, or worse, that there's abuse and the statistics aren't going to talk about that. Right. Then, you know, they're not going to say, um, you know, that you have experienced fatherlessness because your father is there, you know, Um, and we know that we want our fathers to be there. You know, I say fathers matter. It's important for fathers to be there, but I'm saying we can't just stop there beyond just them being there and getting back to their homes. My prayer is that they will return to God, that they'll be able to live out the design that God has for them, because then that's going to take care of not only the issue of not having a physical father right in the home, but it's going to take care of those emotional issues, the spiritual issues. It's going to cover abuse, right? Because then they're actually able to live out their calling because they're spirit filled. They've been born again. You also point out that there are some misconceptions about fatherlessness in the African-American community. Talk about Mm. that for a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. So we know when we look at fatherlessness and specifically when it comes to cohabitation or it comes to marriage, it is like the the statistics are so high and that about 70% of African-American fathers are not married to the mother of their child, nor do they live in the same house um, with their child. And so those numbers are high. That's undeniable. Um, But I think often when it comes to Black men, they're kind of, because of that, looked at like the poster child of fatherlessness. Um, But, you know, when we look at the numbers and even the rates of visitation among fathers who don't live in the home, African-American men actually have the highest rates of visitation um, Mm -hmm. and actually are known to be more present than other ethnicities. And so what I'm saying is there is a history that's there. Uh, that I think is important to understand the context of our country and what has happened over the years. But ultimately, that this is this is an issue that, you know, is not just an African-American issue. This is an is- issue that goes beyond the color of our skin or our ethnicity. It's an epidemic that affects all of us. And I think if we see it that way, then maybe we'll be more willing to address it. Yes, for sure. Okay, let's turn a little bit of a corner here. How about if you tell our listeners at what point in your life you became a Christian? And then how did that affect your view of being fatherless? So my mom would take us to church. um, And I remember making a profession of faith when I was nine years old. So I walked the aisle, as they say, I was baptized and, and I thought that I was a believer. But really, when I was 22, someone actually shared the gospel. They clearly communicated what Jesus Christ had done on the cross to take away our sin and forgive us of our sin. And that through his resurrection, we actually have the power to live a new life. 
And for the first time at 22, that message was really personal for me. Um, you know, I realized at that moment that it wasn't my self-righteousness, which is what I was really leaning on as a child, my moralism, my legalism, even that would allow me to be justified before God. But it was only the work of Jesus. It was through what he had done. And that that should be my hope. And so that became my hope at 22. And though I would say I looked at God and I thought, you know, when I would pray, I would certainly say, our father who art in heaven, as Jesus taught us to pray, but I don't believe that I really processed the fact that God was my father. I looked at him as a judge who pardoned my sin, but I didn't look at him as a father who lavished his love and grace upon me. And that took honestly, probably a couple of years after becoming a Christian where it really settled into my heart. And I mean, it's a continual settling, right? right? That, you know, even day by day, understanding more and more the love that God has for me. But there was one passage in particular that stood out to me, which was Ephesians chapter one verses, the end of verse four into five, which says in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. You know, just to see this wasn't a transaction. It wasn't that God was saying, oh, okay, I'm saving you. I'm just merely tolerating you because that's what I do. I forgive sin. <laughs> but it's that, no, he he chose us. He lavishes his love upon us. And understanding that and really believing it, believing those promises really changed everything and helped me to see, wow, I'm God's child <laughs> and he loves me and he will love me forever. And you know, and he chooses to love me. He chooses to adopt me. Adoption is something we receive by grace. It's not by birthright. And so, yeah, just to settle into that and settle into his goodness and his love, that really changed so much for me. Blair, our listeners range from professionals to prisoners. I would like for you to talk to the one who had no father or a truly bad father about what you call lament, repent, and hope. You know, I mean, one of the things I want to say, first of all, is I think it is important to lament. And sometimes it's hard to, it's hard to grieve because sometimes we don't even know how fatherlessness has affected us. Um, and so I, I talk about even, and I show as I tell my story, the importance of getting your story down, the importance of being able to just face the facts, right? As hard as they may be, as painful as they may be, um, you know, but whether that's writing your story down, whether that's, you know, telling your story as a prayer to God, being able to express what often is hidden and kind of locked away in our heart, I think is important. And then lamenting, right? So saying, Lord, this is hard. And, you know, the beauty about Jesus is he says, in this world, you will have trouble. He doesn't try to sugarcoat our pain and or pretend that it's not as hard as it is. He knows it's hard. And then, you know, as we acknowledge the hardness of what's been done against us, because we all have been, you know, I say victims and rebels, we've been victimized by other people's sin, oftentimes our parents' sin. And then we often sometimes rebel, right? Uh, because of the way we've been treated or mis treated. And, you know, what I say is that ultimately we're not responsible for the choices our parents make. We can't change them. Honestly, we're not even the center of them. 
you know, it's not your fault that your father wasn't there, but we are responsible for how we how we choose to respond as a result of it. And so, you know, there are times where we may sin because of the ways we've been sinned against. And I say, if there's been any sin as a result, that's where we need to repent, right? As we look at those statistics, you know, yes, you know, we are more likely to become a statistic because of the fact that we don't have our father in the home. But ultimately, especially when we're adults, we have to say, well, I'm going to wake up one day and choose not to be a victim anymore. I'm going to choose not to live out these statistics anymore. And especially because we have been adopted by God, we now have Holy Spirit power. We now have been made new. And that means we don't, we don't have to be bound by the cycles of sin that our parents maybe even were bound by. We can say this stops here because I have resurrection power and and, 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 and yeah, so, you know, that's where the lament comes. That's where the repent comes. And that's where the hope comes is that we don't have to like remain in these cycles, but we can actually do something new. And that's whether we, even if you're in prison because of choices that you made, what does it look like to make something new? It's to have a new legacy because of Christ, <laughs> that now through your discipleship, through you pouring out into others, through you serving the fatherless, even serving with things that you may not have received, but now you have access to resources through the spirit of God, through the word of God, mm-hmm. that you can pour into others. It may look like a legacy if you're a single mom or single parent to say, I'm going to pour into the next generation. Or if now you're married to say, we're going to fight to do things differently than what I saw in my household. It's fighting for that hope, that gospel hope uh, that we have access to now. You say often we limit discipleship to reading the Bible together, discussing spiritual things together, and prayer. But you would like it to be so much more within the church, right? Talk to us a bit about that. Yes. You know, this idea of our spiritual adoption, first of all, is not something we talk about enough. But in our spiritual adoption, we gain a father in God, but we also gain a family in the church. And so this is the church's responsibility. So I think the church, yes, we need to open up our Bibles and we need to know how to rightly, you know, understand the scripture in context, but also we need to open up our lives and say, you know, there's some holes. There may be some things that your father didn't teach you. And so what does it look like for spiritual fathers to say, I'm going to walk alongside the fatherless. And so I'm going to teach you how to change a tire. You know, I'm going to teach you how to balance a budget. Um, I'm going to teach you about stocks. I'm going to teach you about how to buy a home or, you know, as you think through college that I'm going to be here and we're going to create a family because that's what the church is. Family, we're to be one, you know, and, and unfortunately, a lot of us have been hurt by our family, our natural family, and many of us have been hurt by our spiritual family. And I think my encouragement is don't lose heart that there are believers there And if we could just find someone that we can trust who won't take advantage of our vulnerability, but will walk alongside us as a spiritual sister, spiritual brother, spiritual mother, spiritual father, to say, you know, I see God's heart for the fatherless and I'm here. You now have a family. You're not alone in all of this. Okay. 
I want to talk about fatherhood wounds that our listeners may have, but to mm. lay the groundwork for that, would you share with us what happened when you discovered that the man who you thought was your father really wasn't yes. your father? Yes. Yeah, so yes, um, actually, it's interesting because <laughs> I started writing this book and I thought that my story and kind of all the chapters were already written, as it were. And uh, in 2019, I was at uh, my grandmother's funeral and someone made a comment suggesting that my father wasn't my father. And it was the first time I had heard anything like that. And, you know, it kind of sent me on this journey of discovery. And right before everything shut down with the pandemic, I met my biological father for the first time. I mean, if I guess there were words to describe that time and how I was processing that it was like just confusion and anger and, you know, just rage. It was just shock. I mean, you know, it's hard. It's hard to grapple with secrets that families can keep, you know, and, and I really had to wrestle through forgiveness, you know, which I, I have learned is an ongoing process. It's not a one and done often, um, you know, as I've learned to lean into the Lord and I've learned to ask God to help me. And especially in those hard days to not try to sugarcoat it, not try to make it feel like, you know, this isn't so bad. It's like, no, this is bad. <laughs> um, this is hard. Um, and then there's grace for that hard, those hard realities. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've had to learn to navigate that. And, and what does it look like now to have a relationship with my dad's, you know, with Esipa and, you know, so learning I have three fathers and, it, and, and, you know, what has really stabilized me in all of this has been my heavenly father. Mm -hmm. You know, it's been the unchanging, faithful, constant heavenly father in my life that has helped me to maintain my identity and even just my sanity, right? In this unchanging, yeah. ever-changing world. For anyone who may have wounds from being fatherless or just a father that wounded them, mm -hmm. um, there, I think there are many people, men and women, that have fatherhood wounds you say to the Christian brother or sister that the question is not, can he heal Jesus? Can he heal? Mm -hmm. But do you want to be healed? Mm -hmm. So what helped you say, I want to be healed? And what would you say to others? You know, I would say um, for those who you want to be healed, just that there is so much encouragement and there is so much there's just so much hope in the scriptures. And, you know, I think where I would begin would be for one, to get your story down, write your story down. Um, and even if you do not know who your father is, even if your father has passed or you will never get an opportunity to share with your father what's on your heart, talk to God about how hard this has been for you. Um, I would spend some time praying for my parent. If my parents are living, pray for them. Pray that they would come to know your heavenly father. Ask the Lord to help you to forgive. I would say lean into your redeemed family. Lean into the church, uh, the body of Christ, to help walk through this difficult process with you. Um, and for those who are not ready to forgive or not ready to be healed, right? I referenced the man who's paralyzed in the book of John uh, in that passage of the book where Jesus comes to him. He's been paralyzed for 38 years and says, 
says, do you want to be healed? And the man doesn't say yes. You know, I think he says, you know, there's no one here to help me into the pool, right? It, it almost feels like an impossibility because it's been so many years. And I think, you know, fatherlessness can feel very paralyzing. Um, and it is a grieving process. It is a lamenting process. And so I would say, tell God about how hard it is. Tell God that I don't have anyone here to help me into the pool, uh, that this feels impossible. And God can work even in your honesty. God, you know, he doesn't want us to come and say, yes, I want to be healed when we really don't. I think we need to come to God and say, you know, what, God, I'm not ready to deal with this. Help me to be ready to deal with this. Help me to start the process mm -hmm. and God can meet you there. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be healed was one of those questions that just sort of grabs you when you're reading the book. You're like, oh, mm. but you made another statement that was so thought provoking, which is ultimately, if we do not have God as our father, we have the devil. Whew. How many of us actually just like think about that? Mm. Speak to mm -hmm. that for just a minute, please. You know, I mean, it's interesting because in our world, we tend to say, you know, or look at God as the father of all because he's created all of us and we're made in his image. But the scripture does make it very clear that either we're following the father of lies uh, or we're following our heavenly father. And it's interesting, you know, how, you know, it is important for us to, Lord willing, land by his grace, see how he lavishes his love and how he tenderly cares for us. And he's so merciful towards us. I think oftentimes people, actually many of us who are fatherless, and I did this too, we look at our heavenly father, the most high God through the lens of our brokenness. And so we see him as, you know, this terrible father oftentimes. And, but when we open up the scripture and we actually see who God is and how he describes himself, or even how the writers of the Bible describe, you know, God as father. And we learn he is filled with so much mercy and compassion and love. And he's near to the fatherless, the scripture says, like he desires justice to be the result of the, that the fatherless would receive justice and, and, and be cared for. And so I think if we see that, it actually will draw us towards him and we'll see the beauty of his salvation and that he has provided everything that we need. He has sent Jesus, our brother, right, to lead us to our heavenly father. And he is the way. Jesus is the way. He's the mediator to bring us sinful humanity to a holy father. And he says, I want you to come, come to me all, right, who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, rest, rest from all of the burdens, rest from the fatherlessness, rest from feeling abandoned and alone. He says, I want to draw near to you. I want you to draw near to me. My desire is that everyone who's listening, that you would know this loving father who desires to lavish you with more and more of his compassion and love. In the chapter, Hashtag Girl Dad, you wrote mm. one of the most precious and amazing thoughts that I think I have never, ever considered. And mm. I honestly think there's going to be listeners who need to hear this. You said, I know you may be in a situation where you have not experienced anything good from your father. You can't mm. think of one single thing. 
Then you say, let me tell you something. Tell our listeners what you want to tell them. That that one thing, if you cannot think of one thing good about your earthly father, the one thing is you. God chose to use your earthly father that you might be created and you can honor your father for that one thing. That's where you can begin by thanking your father for being the tool through which you came, through which you arrived here on this earth. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, spoken word artist and pastor's wife, Blair Lynn, author of the book, How the Gospel Heals the Pain of Fatherlessness. On tomorrow's program, it's Kate Shelnut running down the top news stories of 2022. I don't think we're, we're at the very end of seeing how that period of fear and isolation and illness really shook with our notions of, of community and of God. Um, and we've seen the things we can point to our church attendance and Bible reading in surveys. And I think more and more we'll see reflections as I think we're going to see more pastors moving out of the ministry. I think we're going to see people switch, continuing to switch churches. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.